0: Well, uh, speaking of Bill and Corey, Corey handed me this uh, little uh, plaque, which he said, you're going to have to fix it because I broke it, but um, it's all good. We can, we got some super glue, but it's uh, the uh, Psalm 23 and he says it belonged to his mom, Pat. And so they were cleaning out the house and uh, he uh, gave it to me and I said, well, am I allowed to pass it on to somebody at some point who, who needs it? And he said, absolutely. But I thought as we read from Psalm 23 today, I'll read it from this nice little plaque that Cory handed to me this morning it says the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he maketh me to lie down in green pastures he leadeth me beside the still waters he restoreth my soul he leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for thou art with me thy rod and thy staff they comfort me thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a beautiful psalm that we've been talking about since January. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you for making it come alive, Lord, inside of us. And we pray this morning as we uh, talk about going through the valley and praising in the valley and talking about faith in the valley today, that we would uh, just be reminded, we would be taught, we would just learn something new, Lord, from your word this morning as uh, it would speak to us. And uh, we just give you praise and honor and glory for meeting with us here and now. In your name we pray. Amen. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the valley of the shadow of death, or the darkest valley, or, or it's so dark it feels like death, or it's so hard and, and so dark I just feel like I want to die. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in that, uh, that place, or maybe you've even said to yourself, maybe the world would be better off if I just didn't exist at all, and maybe the world would be better and my life would be better if it came to an end. And we've all uh, uh, heard of people who've had these struggles. Maybe you've been there yourself, but at some point we all go through moments where life just seems so incredibly hard and so incredibly dark, and we can get in these places, and then we can start to spiral. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to turn. And this is what I love about the Word, is the Word has an answer for every situation. It may not be what we want to hear. It may not be what we feel, but it is still filled with truth. How many know that uh, just because you feel something doesn't make it true? I've, I, I I try not to rely on feelings even though I love, I just go, you know, we, we often will say things like, well, I just feel like, or I feel this, or for me, right, it's all relative to ourselves. But the thing is, is that, uh, is that whether it's relative to ourselves or not, uh, as we sing in the songs this morning, it doesn't change who God does, and it doesn't change what God is, and it doesn't change who he is uh, based on our feelings. So you might say things, or someone might say something to you like, well, that's good for you, right? God is good for you. Jesus, you can keep your Jesus. He's good for you. But we know the truth as we read the word that Jesus came not just for North Shore Church, not just for Tyler, for Bill, for Jeff, for Corey, and not this side of the room. We know that it says in John 3.16 that God gave his son for who? The entire world to be saved. So it's not just relative to me. My feelings might be relative to me, but my feelings might not be true unless what we put inside of our hearts and inside of our minds is true. That's a little bit free this morning, but it does help us out when we get into situations of the valley. Because what happens when we get to the valley, and what do we like to do? Especially me, we like to try to fix something. It's broken, let's fix it. You're hurting, let's fix you. Let's just get you up. Let's just get going, and, and let's move along. And, and meanwhile, sometimes that person really just needs to sit and wait. And we talked about that in Habakkuk chapter um, I said Hezekiah to you this morning, Elizabeth. I meant to say Habakkuk. <laughs> it wasn't coming to me. But we read about that in Habakkuk chapter one and, and chapter two. And 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 sometimes the person just needs to sit and wait and embrace. Don't need you to fix my problems. Maybe I just need you to sit with me in these moments. And sitting with someone in their moments of valley is is an incredibly valuable experience. Sitting with someone in their deathbed. Sitting with with young parents who've just lost a child. And um, Having done that, these wild moments where you go, there's nothing that I'm going to say or going to do that's going to fix this right now, but the value of presence is all I need. And having the presence of God in the valley, I think I talked about that about four or five weeks ago, end of, middle of April, about a month ago, and just said the value of presence of God in the valley, you know, it's as hard as it is to say, or it's easy to say, hard as it is to to accept, is that's all I need. All I need is the presence of God in the valley. I just need the presence of God As you walk through this life. And it is that simple and it's that hard. But as we jump into Hezekiah, he gives us some, some, we learn some practical advice to help us get through the valley. Because um, while while it may be good to sit and to wait, the the situation that Hezekiah said again, Habakkuk, I'm going to read the notes, it'll be good. Habakkuk, 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 there we go, we got it. Habakkuk, the situation that he finds himself in is very much a valley situation. And there's some great things and some things that we can learn through the book of Habakkuk, through his experience that will help us through our valley time. And and maybe you're not in the valley now. Maybe you're going to be. Maybe you were there before and you'd like to do it better the next time. Or maybe you're walking with somebody right now going through a hard time and you go, what can I use? What is some advice? What is something from the Bible that I could use to help them through the valley? Habakkuk, written over uh, about 600 BC or so, it's full of emotions, full of feelings, and he just lets it all out to God. Chapter 1, like so many of us, Habakkuk finds himself wondering why. Have you ever asked the question, why God? Uh, Many times. Uh, And there's moments we ask the question, why do you not seem fair, God? Why don't you seem fair? And Habakkuk is wondering and wondering and wondering and wondering. Chapter 2, it's all about waiting. Waiting. Waiting, waiting. We talked about this last week. Number one, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And then God speaks and says to Habakkuk, Here's what I'm going to do. And what I'm going to do is going to amaze you. You're not even going to believe what I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I heard you cry, Habakkuk. And remember, Habakkuk is a different prophet. Most prophets were the voice of God to the people, Habakkuk was the voice of the people. To God, a little bit of a reverse prophet. And so, as, as God is speaking to Habakkuk in this kind of two way conversation between him and the people, uh, God says, You're going to be just absolutely amazed at what I'm going to do. I've heard your cry, Habakkuk. I've heard you. And I've heard you ask the question God, where are you? Why are you doing Why doesn't this seem fair? And what I'm going to do is going to totally amaze you. And then what happens next? He says, I'm going to raise up the enemies against you. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians who are worse off than you are. And they're going to bring judgment on you and they're going to bring judgment on the people. And so I'm not going to answer the prayer the way that you prayed. And Habakkuk goes, I am amazed. But the, the amazing line at the end of chapter two, and I'll just read it quickly for us here as I did not need to flip the page. He says, at the end of hearing this, word from the Lord about the destruction and the heartache that's going to come. He says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Though it, and we read, we read it as well, this, this line, though it linger, wait for it. Though it linger, wait for it. In other words, Habakkuk knows, he says, okay, I'm going to accept the fact That what I prayed for is not going to be answered the way that I want it to be answered. God's going to speak. He's going to do something that's going to be incredibly surprising to us. We can't believe it. It's not the answer we wanted. And we're going to just wait on God for deliverance. And he says, even though all this is about to come to pass, he says, the Lord is in his holy temple. What an amazing place to come through as you sit in your valley. What an amazing moment of faith to come to. So God, I don't know where the end of this thing is. But I know that you're going to get me to the other side. And even if I don't make it out alive, God, you're still holy. God, you're still good. And you're still in your holy temple. God, your ways are still higher than my ways. And this is the moment where we build our faith. It's in these moments that when there's nothing else to lose, it's the best moment to put your faith in Jesus, because nothing else you put your faith in is going to help you prosper or succeed. Nothing else you put your faith in is going to get you through these moments. You can find things that will numb the pain. You can find things to help you forget about what you're going through. You can do all of these things, but until you deal with the root of those issues, you will continually find yourself in the valley again and again and again and again. And so even though it's hard, though it linger, wait. Finally, we get to... Chapter 3, and well, let me back up in case you missed it. Chapter, chapter 2, there's another moment right at the beginning, and, and Habakkuk says, I'm going to call out to the Lord, and then I'm going to take my place at my guard post, and I'm going to wait for him to speak. In other words, he's going to do everything he possibly can, do everything he possibly can do to hear the voice of the Lord. So, when we're going through the valley, it's, it's kind of like when you're lost in the bush. Have you ever been lost in the bush? You think, if I just get to the top of that hill, I'll get cell service. <laughs> There's some good stories going around the room <laughs> in our heads right now. I see you got the boat on. Are you, are you getting ready to go fishing? Or are you coming back? <laughs> There's some stories swirling, so you've been like you know exactly what I'm talking about. Then I'm going to get in the best possible position that I can to get the signal. So, oh, there I am on TV. Look at that. I'm going to get the best possible signal that I can, so I can make that call, so I can get help. And and Habakkuk says, I almost said Hezekiah again. Habakkuk says, I'm going to get to the best position that I can. I'm going to take the right posture, and I'm going to wait for the Lord to speak, and I'm going to wait for Him to move. So many of us, we we can try so many different things, but the end of the day, just take the right posture. And I believe one of those postures that we're going to talk about today is taking a posture of praise. It's the hardest thing to do when you're going through a hard time. It's the hardest thing to do. I'll never forget uh, a number of years ago, a good family friend came to church with us our whole lives. And she was a very exuberant worshiper. Like if you want to talk about the, the typical, like the crazy people you see when you talk about a Pentecostal church online, this was that lady. Like just... Uh, It was a bit of a cultural thing for her, but just when the Spirit of God moved, like, it was weird. Like, it was like people would stare, and the kids would all be like, it was, it was just, it's just one of those weird ones. And, but she was just so passionately in love, and just, it was the way she expressed her praise. I'll never forget, her oldest daughter was killed in a car accident. And, and I'll never forget at her funeral. uh, She's sitting in the, mom's sitting in the front row, and she's like, well, we're having a church service. We're doing the funeral. We're, we're just going to have a church service. Going to celebrate her life. And, I mean, there was, so if you can imagine just how much an exuberant she was in her worship, she was also very exuberant in her mourning. It was very difficult to hear and also, like, very difficult to hear. And, and but I'll never forget, the, the worship team gets up and they start playing, playing the songs and as much as this woman just loved to worship and was just passionate and would just move, I've never seen her worship and praise quite like she did in that moment. And where she went, God, I don't like this. I don't agree with this. Lord, why, did, why is my daughter not here with me anymore? I, all of these things, she put all of that aside and she just paused and she praised God and she worshiped like she never worshiped before. Amazing posture through the valley. God, I want to get myself in the best possible position to hear your voice, to be in your presence, to know that you are with me. I want to just stand. I want to be exactly where I need you to be for you to speak. God, I'm confused. I'm wondering. I'm doubting. And at the end of the chapter, he says, but the Lord. But the Lord is in his holy temple. God is on his throne. And he says, let all the earth be silent before him. I'm hurting. I'm broken. But God is in his holy temple. Set apart. Holy. Chapter one, we get a bit of the reset, hits the reset button, I mean, and this is kind of what one of the, maybe our first step in the valley, right? It's, it's kind of the first thing of tech support, right? If you have an issue with your phone or computer, what's the first thing you do? You turn it off, you turn it back on again. I always just say, if I'm in the hospital on life support, unplug me, plug me back in, we'll just see if that works, right? We'll just, just try it out. Elizabeth will just unplug and leave it, I'm sure, but... <laughs> But it's the first thing that we do, right? And this moment, this posture of, of, of Habakkuk just taking this posture before the Lord, it's just a reset button. God, look, there's this chaos, there's hurt, there's brokenness, there's pain, there's suffering. I'm just going to hit the pause. We're just going to reset and we're going to just change our attitude. We're going to change our mindset. God, you're going to come and you're going to bring us some level of peace as we walk through this. And this is essentially what the book does. So chapter 3, we get to this interesting, interesting word in chapter 3. And I said it to Elizabeth this morning. She kind of looked at me funny and she said, hey, what did you say? And uh, the word, and you find this in chapter 3 in verse 1. And I'm going to read it for you right now. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, right here in Habakkuk chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigionoth. Now, have you ever heard that word before? Shigionoth. I've preached about it once before, so you weren't listening. So you have heard it before, because I told it to you. S h i g. Read your Bible; it's in there. Habakkuk chapter three, verse one. S h i g o n o t h. At least it's said in the NIV. And um, it's a. What does this? What does this word mean? Well, it's the it's the plural, which means it's you know, the plural of shigion. <laughs> not shig. <laughs> no, this is not a shig. It's not a shag. Shigion is the, is the root word. Shigionoth is the plural of shigion. We should just learn Hebrew and we would understand this way better. Shigion is the actually only used one other time in the Bible and you find it in Psalm chapter 7. And, it's, uh, and it says in Psalm chapter 7, not even in the, the verse, the scripture itself, but in the instructions of how to read it or how to process this psalm. And the what is this psalm? Is it a song? Is it a poem? Is it well, all these things? It says it is a Shigianon of David. And so David's the only other time we see this word at all in the Bible. It's only used one other time, and the other time is this, Habakkuk 3, chapter 1. So what do we know about these words? They're actually directions on how to sing a song or a psalm. It gives us some instructions on how this particular uh, psalm was supposed to be sung. A musical term, if you read it, the little footnote of my Bible says probably. This is how little the word is used. It says, and you know it's bad when the professional Bible interpreters say the word probably. So just take note of this probably. So we can, which means it's kind of open to interpretation of how you want to live this out, right? And so uh, probably a literary or musical Term. But we're going to get into one of the commentators' suggestions of what it means here in a second. But we know that the words on, or, or directions on how to sing a song or a psalm. For example, I might say to you in this next worship song, we're going to sing it like a love song to God. Right, And so when you sing a love song to your spouse or significant other, what might you do? You might look into your, their eyes. You might dim the lights a little bit. You might light a candle. You might, uh, you know, if you sing to your spouse. I don't know if you do that or not. Or it might be, what's that good 80s movie? The guy goes inside the girl's window. He's got the stereo on his shoulder and he's singing. Does anyone know what movie? What's that? Is it a music video? It's from a movie. Yeah, 16 Candles. I've never seen it. So I've just seen the clip. Probably on Facebook Reel or whatever. Harrison knows it well. He how do you think he won Rebecca over? I can see this. Harrison standing outside their house tonight, staring on his shoulder, yeah. singing out to Rebecca. This is a love song. I got I got one actually. I do. <laughs> So, But, you know, you get, you get the point. So this is how you sing a love song. Right? All right, I might say, can okay, we're going to sing this like a jazz song. And how many are you going to do your jazz hands? Can anyone do jazz hands? Let's, let's make this interactive this morning. No? Okay. Good. Uh, uh means to sing, are you ready for this, with strong emotion, with impassioned exuberance, It means wild, passionate singing with rapid changes of rhythm. It means high-spirited praise, vigorous enthusiasm. Anyone care to demonstrate what that might look like this morning? Anybody at all? Any volunteers? Harrison, we know that you're good at love songs. You think maybe you would love to come and we can clear the dance floor for you this morning. (laughs) We can turn off the live. No, we're not turning off the live stream. We're going to get this on camera. Wild, passionate singing with rapid changes of rhythm means high-spirited praise, vigorous enthusiasm. This isn't a cry-in-your-beer-country song. This is a kids-high-on-sugar-watching-cocoa-melon kind of song. One article said, Shigianoth is, and I quote, it is praise punctuated with exclamation, part, exclamation marks. Uh, what I want us to understand about Habakkuk 3 is he's doing this full-body Full body, interactive, high energy, loud, passionate song of praise before God. And he's doing it before God did what he wanted God to do. Catch that for a minute. So he's doing this full-on, very exuberant, very kind of rare, uncommon type of praise. And he's not only, so not only does Habakkuk find himself, he gets himself in a position to hear from God. And then when he hears from God, he takes a humble posture and says, Okay, Lord, your will be done. You're still on your holy throne. And then he changes his posture yet again. And he takes on this rare form of worship and he praises God before God does what God is going to do. And this is where we want to land this morning. Because I believe some of the most passionate, authentic praise is actually the praise before the provision. I'll say that again just so it gets in their heart a little bit. Sometimes the most passionate, authentic type of praise is the praise before the provision. It's the praise that is simply based on faith. I haven't seen the results. I haven't seen the data. I haven't seen the seeds that have been planted yet. I haven't seen the growth of those seeds. I haven't even seen the rain come to water. But God, I'm going to praise you in the storm. I'm going to praise you in the desert. This kind of praise is not praising God for what he has done. We sang it this morning. Oh, God, you've done great things. Right? We sing that. And we can praise because God has done great things. But what happens when we praise when God hasn't done great things yet? Now, you may not be in this position right now, you know, I don't need to do that yet, Pastor Gary. I don't need to shake wildly and sing exuberantly and get passionate. and I'm not there yet. But now you know. The next time you find yourself in a valley, go wild. It's not the praise for the who. It's, it's the praise for the who, rather, not the praise for the what. It's shigionoth. It's praise before anything happens at all. Verse 2, Habakkuk says, The Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. And he repeats and he says to them, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in your deeds. You read this in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. I'm going to read it from here so you know that I'm not making this stuff up. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. And this is what he says. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Now, this is important things to pay attention to, what he's talking about here. He says, God, do it again. Repeat them one more time. Make them known. In wrath, God, I know you're coming to judge us, but God, remember your mercy. It's kind of like the time when you cheat on a test at school and you get caught I tr- and this is this, You know what's worse, is when you plan to cheat on a test at school, but you don't cheat on the test at school, but you get caught because they found the answer key on the floor that's in your writing? That happened to me once. I had a spelling test, and I was, I was not very confident, and I, said, and I thought to myself, and what a great idea. If I write the words down ahead of time, and I put the words in my pocket, when I get to the spelling test, I can pull the paper out of my pocket, and I can put it on the desk. And then I will know how to spell the words because I'll be able to see. But you know what happened? As I wrote the words out on my cheat sheet, I learned how to spell the words. And so I put the paper in my pocket, and the paper stayed in my pocket the whole time I did the test. And then you know what happened? I was walking down the hallway at school, and I grabbed grabbed the coin out of my pocket to play foosball. And the paper fell out. I didn't know. And the teacher came along and saw this piece of paper with the spelling words on it. And this teacher went, that looks like Gary's writing because the writing is so bad. It must be Gary's because Gary's the only one with bad writing like that. And so he calls me over to the desk, and he says, how did that spelling test go? I said, it was great. I got 98%. And he says, did you? Yeah. I can't believe it. I I learned how to spell the words. Oh. Well, can you explain to this little, I didn't even need the paper, Mr. Jacobs, I swear. (laughs) But in that moment, it didn't matter. And he believed me, but it didn't matter. And there's these moments where I know the judgment is coming. I know detention is coming. And I mean, I didn't know the word enough to say "Have mercy on me, Mr. Jacobs." But this is the the posture that Hezekiah is taking. He says, "God, I know that your judgment is coming." When he says in his in his shigionoth, "Remember mercy. Remember mercy." And then he goes, "God, remember how you saved us once before. Do it again." Do it again. And as I'm praising you, I'm believing God, you're going to do it again. So yes, your wrath and your judgment is going to be poured out upon us. I'm trusting that you're going to remember mercy. And then I'm trusting God that you're going to save us from the Babylonians. It's kind of all of these three, three, three steps that will take place in, the, in this moment in the Shigenoth that he does. God, I know that we deserve The wrath and the judgment, it's coming. God, in the middle of that wrath, remember mercy. And God, would you save us again? And God, you're saving us from a foreign enemy because of our own sin and of our own own fears and our own lack of faith in your will, in your way, oh God. But as you remember mercy, Lord, I trust that you're going to save us because remember, while it seems like Israel is coming to an end and coming to destructions, it seems that even in their lack of faithfulness to God and in their disobedience, they have to pay the price. But in the middle of their disobedience, in the middle of their unfaithfulness, Hezekiah Habakkuk, I said it wrong. I don't know why. Next week we're gonna preach on Hezekiah, just because apparently we've got to talk about Hezekiah. Who was he? Let's find out next week. Habakkuk finds this moment and he goes, Okay, God, I understand that your judgment is coming. But I also know that in our unfaithfulness, God, you are faithful. And that your promises are yes and amen. And God did God promise. He said to Abraham, the father of the nation. Generations before, he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Your descendants are going to spread like the sand on the seashore, the stars in the heavens. We also have this promise that out of the line of David... And Habakkuk happens after David. Out of the line of David, a Messiah is going to come. And he's going to be the savior of the world. And so Habakkuk is in the middle of this praise. And he's saying, God, remember mercy. And God, in the middle of this wrath and this storm, would you you save us again? And even though he doesn't know the end from the beginning, he does know that God's promises are true and are faithful. And no matter how God chooses to do it, God is still going to be faithful to his promises. Because if God is not faithful to his promises, then he's not really God at all. What's the point of all this if he's not really God at all? And sure enough, when you read 600 years later, what happens? Some little teenage girl who just loves God with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength. Engaged to be married to Joseph, this really young, good-looking carpenter, poor Jewish guy. And God says to Mary, you're going to have a son. You're going to conceive a son, and he's going to be the Savior of the world. And Mary goes, okay, that sounds great. And uh, not quite, but you can go back at Christmas time and find out exactly what she said. We know that she gives birth to this son who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Who is perfect in every way, and he gives his life, he takes on the shame, he takes on the sin, he takes on the guilt, he takes on the pain of the world. He takes on the judgment of I'm preaching. yeah, takes on the judgment of God for the rest of us, so that we don't have to go through what Israel went through. that we don't have to go through the valley that Habakkuk went through, and we get to have freedom in Christ forever. getting ahead of myself. But it's OK. What do we do, though, when life gets difficult? God, I know that you saved me. You sent Jesus to be my Savior. How come I'm going through such a hard time? Well, Jesus himself told us, in this world, you're going to have trouble. In fact, he said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, is what he actually said. Things are going to be hard. Things are going to be tough. Because even though I'm coming back and I'm going to make things right, we're not quite there yet. And why God chose to do things the way he does is is beyond me, but it's just the way it is, and we're going to trust God in the middle of the storm. We're going to trust God before he provides, and we're going to trust God before he comes back because we know he's coming back. Again, that's something you can say amen to because that is our hope today. But what do we do when life gets difficult? God, sometimes you seem so incredibly amazing, and God, sometimes you seem so incredibly far away and distant. God, you do so many incredible things, and sometimes, God, I can't see them at all. God is so good and then we get a bad day, you get a bad season, bad news. You pray, nothing happens. The opposite happens of what you prayed. You're waiting for God to do something and he does nothing. We go through the valley and we have what we call a crisis of belief. In my mind, in my heart, I know you are real, I know you are true, but my experience right now, God, is telling me, my feelings right now, God, are telling me something different. So God, I know in my head that you are good. I know in my heart that you are good. I know in my head that you will hear me when I pray. God, I know in my head that you can do miracles and that you can save me, that you can heal me, that you can provide for all that I need. But what happens when he doesn't come through the way that we know? We go through a crisis of belief. Our feelings are telling us something different. One of the things I love to do in a crisis is to pretend that it's not happening. Just ignore it. It'll go away. My arm might be falling off, but it's fine. That's what I like to do. Just pretend it's not happening. I thing this is probably the most common for the Christian, honestly. The person that's followed Jesus their whole life. It's really easy just to go, oh, that didn't happen. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, if you, if you, uh, if you just Google bad things that have happened in church, there'll be lots of stuff that you're going to come across. So much that you're going to probably have a crisis of belief just reading it all. God, why, did, why, did, why would you let that? That's your church, God. Why would you let that happen? We have crisis of beliefs, And then yet, sometimes we just put, oh, that didn't happen. It was easy just to ignore it. And we ignore it because we don't want it to challenge our faith. But the fact is we need our faith to be challenged because it's in those moments of challenging that our faith actually grows deeper. It's in those moments of, of people coming against us that our faith actually grows. When someone starts to ask you the tough questions, and if you don't have an answer, you better go learn an answer or an experience an answer. Because it's, that's going to challenge and help your faith grow. So that when you go to the next valley, when you see someone else in the valley, you have hope to offer to them. What do you do when you're crying out to God, believing that he'll hear your prayer? He'll move in a way of brings relief or brings blessing or brings provision, and yet God doesn't. Well, let's do two things. Two things that Habakkuk does when he calls out to God, asks for some help, asks for some provision, says, God, save us from this, and God answers with something, That he didn't want to hear. Habakkuk 3.3. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. Well, where are these places? Taman, Paran. Two places God took his people for refuge after delivering them from the Egyptian bondage. So Habakkuk reaches back generations upon generations upon generations. As he calls out to God, as he's praising, as he's doing this, this rapidly changing rhythmic exuberant dance praise psalm cry out to God he's saying God remember how you took the Israelites out of Egypt and you brought them to these two places they were places of refuge they were a place of safety these were situations where there seemed to be no way out but God you made a way you changed Pharaoh's heart. He let the people go. And yet they get to the Red Sea and Pharaoh changes his mind and he chases after the Israelites. And they're stuck on the border of the Red Sea. And finally, God makes a way when there seems to be no way. And Habakkuk is saying, God, would you do that again? There's no way to be seen. There's no way forward. God, when there doesn't seem to be a way, God, would you make a way? Would you do it again? Habakkuk 3, 4-6 to says this. God came from Taman, the Holy One, from Mount Paran. The glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand, where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed in his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and he made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. But last verse, the end of verse six: there, the ancient mountains crumbled and his age-old hills collapsed. But his, but he marches on, forever. Continue to read verses seven to fifteen, and this is kind of what Habakkuk does. He's taking, talking back about all the justice and faithfulness of God. Now here's here's of course what Habakkuk could have done. He could have remembered some of the things that God, other people of God remembered. He could have said, God, I remember when you provided for your people with manna from heaven, you made meat from a bird, with water from a rock. I remember, God, I remember when you spoke life into the dry bones and they came to life. There's so many promises, so many moments where God came through when God made a way when there didn't seem to be any other way. He says, when you're in the valley, you simply just have to remember the goodness and the faithfulness of God. When you're in the valley, all you sometimes need to do is remember the goodness and the faithfulness of God. God, I don't see it. God, I don't feel it. But God, I know that you are faithful. And I choose to remember. And it's important in these moments as we praise God. Because praise is the songs that we sing. Praise is the the thoughts that we think. Praise are the words that we say that praise God for who God is. It might be hard, God, to sing, I love you right now. I love you with all my heart, God. But I am going to sing the songs that sing about the great things that you have done. I am going to sing and I'm going to remember the great and wonderful, mighty times of deliverance. And if you don't know those times, I just encourage you to go back and read these stories that Habakkuk is talking about. When the Israelites are standing at the edge of the Red Sea and God makes a way when there's no way. When they're wandering the desert and they're starving and God sends them manna from heaven. And even when they complain that they're tired of eating bread, God sends them quail to eat. Even in their complaint, God blesses them and provides for them. And quail doesn't even reside in the desert, by the way. It's an incredible story. Not only did God give them quail, he literally gave them mountains and mountains of quail to walk through. It was like walking through the bush that has never been cleared before of moving quail out of the way. That's how much God blessed them. That was way more than they needed. Remember the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Number two, the second thing Habakkuk does, he doesn't just endure, right? He doesn't just endure the valley. He embraces where he's at. What do you do when you're in the valley? You remember the goodness of God. The second thing is this. Let me tell you what you do. The second thing is, well, I don't know what I wrote down here. I typos all over the place. It's all good. It just looks like I'm speaking in tongues. What I'm going to tell you to do is to endure. Enduring is kind of a passive response to something that is happening to you. We don't just endure. What do we do when we're in the valleys? We embrace and we believe that God is still good. Endure is like, we'll just get through this together, right? And those aren't bad things to say. We'll just do this right until the end. What if the end doesn't come? What if there's no end in sight? And this is, this is the posture. I remember reading through this in March of 2020, April of 2020. Does anybody remember what happened in March of 2020, April of 2020? Anybody at all remember any significant world event that took place and everyone was kind of going crazy? No one knew what was happening and everything was still fresh. And new. Everyone thought they were going to die. And it was like, I just can't wait to get through this. And they're like, two weeks, guys, two more weeks, guys, two more weeks. And everyone kept waiting. They kept enduring. Okay, I can do this for two more weeks. I can do this for two more weeks. I can do this for two more weeks. Anyone remember that at all? Kids home at school, oh, Lord, send them back to school. I only need to do this for two more weeks. Remember that teacher over here? Yeah. Two more weeks. That's called enduring. And you know what happened every time they extended the deadline for two more weeks? Everybody was really excited, and then Friday, news conference, right? 100 feet away, masks on, everyone's standing there. We're going to do two more weeks. And everyone, all of a sudden, their weekend just down, right? Everyone. Head hung low. Okay. They tried to endure. And when we try to endure, we get burned out. When we just try to endure and say, okay, I can see okay, the end of it. And they actually said, if you go back to, uh, to prisoners of war, all the prisoners that, were, that would, would say things like, oh, I know for sure, by Christmas, we're going to be free. I know it. Oh, Christmas comes and they're still held captive. And they say, okay, by By Valentine's Day, by Easter, by summer, surely we will be free. I know by July 1st, Canada Day, or July 4th, Independence Day, we will be free. And you know what happened to the ones that kept trying to endure and say those things? They're the ones that died in the POW camps. The ones that survived and and got through, the ones that simply just embraced their situation. Every day they'd wake up. And they would be the best prisoner of war they could possibly be. They would embrace, they would look at the gates and the guards around them, and they went, okay, we're going to keep moving on. We're going to build whatever they tell us to build. We're going to eat whatever we can to eat, and we're going to embrace the situation. This is what it's like when we walk through the valley. We can't just endure, because being and enduring is simply a passive response to something that's happening. No, we want to be active in our response. No, we're going to embrace. I'm going to do the best I can with what I have. I'm going to praise God with all that I can and all that I am. If you think about Habakkuk in this situation, he felt like the enemy, the Babylonians were winning, and they were. He looked and he recognized this, and then, "This is bad. This is not a good thing. This is going to get worse. We think it's bad now. Just wait till they get here. Wait till they haul us away and take us away and change. Things are going to get worse. And he recognized it was bad. It was a really bad situation. With everything in him, he still declared, my God is still on the throne. I know this is coming. I can see the armies coming. This is going to be bad. We are going to be defeated. But my God is still on the throne. There's not a state of denial. He's not pretending it's not real. He just declares, in this moment of embrace, I still trust God. Watch Habakkuk what, what he does. Chapter three, verse one. Or sorry, chapter three, chapter one. Wondering. Chapter two is waiting. Chapter three, he embraces. This is what he says in verse sixteen. He said, "I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled." So, he can see the army coming, maybe. And remember, he's doing this as a very exuberant praise. Remember, it's a shigunoth. Right? This is what he's doing. He's singing loudly, he's calling out to God. I heard and my heart pounded. Have you ever had those moments when you know something's about to happen? And your heart pounds. My lips quivered at the sound, decay crept into my bones, my legs trembled. And this is what he said, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Patiently. Waiting patiently. I'll never forget I was in Air Cadets and we had this survival week and we went camping. And one of the things we got to do was repelled on the side of this cliff. Just for the fun of it. No reason other than it was really a really good experience. And I'll never forget, like, we're standing at the top of this thing. When you're at the bottom and you look up, oh, it's not that tall. And you get to the top of the thing and you're looking down and you go, that's a really long way down. And we're all wearing harnesses. We're all getting hooked up to these ropes. And you see kids one after the other just climbing over backwards over the side of this clip. Putting a lot of trust into the guy holding the rope and into the, into the, uh, the tree that he's tied off to. And you see them up there, and your turn gets closer and closer, and you get a little bit more nervous. The heart starts to pound just a little bit more. I'll never forget Donald. He was with us. He's, uh, he gets to the edge, and he's freaking out. And he's like, he's like 15, I guess, at the time. And he's kind of this bit of a tough guy. Gets to the edge of the cliff and he's going over the edge and he's like freaking out. He's grabbing onto the rope and they're like, dude, you gotta let go of the rope. You gotta hold the rock. You can't, you can't hold onto that rope. And he's just holding on for dear life. And he's just like, he starts like bawling his eyes out. He's freaking out. He can't do it. And so they kind of just drag him up on the, on the hill. It felt kind of bad for him, but also laughed because he was kind of a tough guy. But I remember standing there thinking, am I gonna be like that? Is that gonna be me when it's my turn to go over the edge of the cliff? And I'm just remembering, I'm standing there like, no, I'm doing this. I'm here to go over the side of this cliff. And you just, you, you take the heart beating, the literally the legs trembling, and yeah, yes, sir, yeah, I'm gotta with go, yeah, you, yeah, 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 let's do it. And you just go for it, and it was the best moment of the weekend, literally. And then you take the first little baby step, and once you get over, you just kind of hang there on the back of this cliff, and you go, oh, this isn't so bad, and you kind of move a little bit more, move a little bit more, and the next, by the time I'm at the bottom of the cliff, I'm jumping off the wall, just Falling down the side of this cliff. The best day of my life kind of thing. It was a riot. Habakkuk standing there. Enemies coming, heart pounding, anxiety out of everything. Bad news is here, an intense moment. He knows it's bad. It's going to get worse. There's no food, no crops, no animals. Everything of value is going to be destroyed. It's gone. And he stands there and he says, I'm just going to wait patiently for calamity to come. Maybe, maybe you're in one of these situations, maybe you've got some bad news, maybe it's a bit of a reflection, no job, nobody, no food on the table, bad illness, disease, cancer, no healing, all alone, no friends, no spouse, seems like no one cares. Habakkuk, one of the most important phrases that we can ever read, yet I will, in verse 18, he says this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Dozens of reasons why I might not want to rejoice in this moment. You know, I think, Corey, you said one of your favorite songs is, He has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. It's really hard to sing that when you lose a job, when you get the diagnosis that you don't want to get. And yet in verse 18, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. And Remember, He's not just saying it because he knows it's true. Okay, God, I will rejoice, for you have made me glad. He's not just standing there saying the words. Remember, this is a full on exuberant, Passionate form of praise and worship. He's dancing like he's on the mountaintop. He's, he's dancing like he just won the lottery. He's praising like an idiot in front of probably whoever's watching him, thinking, what has gone into this guy's head? Because he's he's moving his body rapidly, he's changing the temple that he's dancing to. It probably looks crazy, probably looks like he's high on something, and yet in this moment he's exuberantly praising. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my savior. He's wrestling with the truth, but he's also embracing with everything inside of him. From the depths of the soul, he's worshiping even when things aren't right. He's saying, God, I don't know what the end looks like. I don't know when the end will come. But God, I'm going to praise you before we get there. I'm not going to wait for this season to be over to praise you. I'm going to praise you right here and now. Chapter 1 of Habakkuk, you don't walk away from God. Chapter 2, we don't quit on God. Chapter 3, even if he doesn't change the circumstances, he can change our perspective. God, you didn't answer the prayer that I wanted you to answer. You didn't answer it in the way that I expected you or needed you to answer. But God, you've changed my heart and my perspective. Habakkuk doesn't resolve to make the most of a bad situation. He's not enduring. It's deeper than that. He looks at the truth with his right in the face. And he says, this isn't good. This is going to get worse. There's no, Nothing's coming that's going to be good. No blossoms coming, no fruit, no crops. Only judgment is coming. And yet he looks at the situation in the face, and he says, but the Lord is still good. He is still in his holy temple. He looks death in the eyes and says, the Lord is good, and I will rejoice that he is my Savior. Here's what's fascinating about this story is that God never does what Habakkuk asked him to do, right? You're all wanting to be like, so what's the end of the story, Gary? God finally saved them? No. This was the end of Israel as we knew it, actually. In fact, when Jesus comes on the scene, there's a group of people that are like, yes, finally a Messiah, a savior that we could follow that's gonna rise up against the enemy of our old enemy, the Romans. And what happens? Jesus walks in on Palm Sunday Fanfare, the crowds are going wild. This is our king, Hosanna in the highest. Finally a savior to save us. And what happens? The next week, the same crowd yells, crucify him. He's not our savior. He's not our king. Jesus never overthrew the Romans. He never got rid of of the foreign powers. In fact, this was the end of Israel as they knew it. But in the middle of that destruction, God was still faithful. Because Jesus came what Jesus came to do, to save all of the world, not to overthrow a human army, but to bring in a holy, righteous kingdom. God never do does what Habakkuk asks him to do. Verse 19: the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Look, destruction and death is coming. Judgment is coming. Heartache is coming, pain is coming, suffering is coming, but the sovereign Lord in the middle of this circumstance, in the middle of this valley, as I'm probably stuck in the mud, no cell service, no one's coming to save me, this might be the very end. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear nothing because you are with me. We choose a posture of praise. We choose this posture of embracing. We hug and hold on tightly to God. We raise the hallelujah like we've sung before. All of our praise, all of our hands, we raise our voices, we move our bodies to praise. Because it's in these moments of praise where we get to have these intimate moments where it's just us and God. And these intimate moments is what builds our faith like nothing else. And so I encourage you. The next time you're in a valley, the next time you get the phone call you don't want to receive, the next time you're in the doctor's office, they give you the diagnosis that you don't want. Look death straight in the face and say, God, I will praise you in the storm. Because you are faithful that you are good. And God, I'm going to remember your promises. I'm going to remember the past that you have been faithful in. But God, even if you don't answer the prayer I'm asking you to answer right now, I'm going to praise you, I'm going to praise you, I'm going to praise you, I'm going to praise you because even though i walk through the deepest darkest valley i will fear nothing because you are with me let me pray god i thank you for this day thank you for the truth god that we can hold on to lord as we wrestle with our situations and as we watch those around us who are hurting and going through these moments i pray that you would give us the strength to put our arm around their shoulder and and hold their hand and show them the truth, O God, and show them how to pray and how to praise before the provision. God, the next time that we find ourselves in these moments where we're without a job, without food on the table, without a way to pay our bills, the next time we lose someone close to us, O God, when we don't see the end in sight, would you just continue to give us a posture like you did to Habakkuk and let us just stand firm in a place where we can hear your voice. Lord, help us remember your faithfulness. Help us remember your goodness. Help us remember your grace and your mercy. And God, today, would you continue to give us the strength to praise you? Give us the strength that we would stand and hold fast, to oh God, in our position. That we would move forward, Lord, regardless of the world around us. Lord, when everyone else is just enduring and hoping just to get through it, oh God, would you give us the strength to embrace? Would you give us the strength to praise God, no matter what. Lord, I pray a blessing over each one here, Lord. As as you have blessed us before, Lord, we just trust that you will continue to bless us again in the future. Would you help us hold on hope in your name we pray today. Amen.